Today's EP of Netflix and Swill is brought to you by The Star Draft. Award season is finally upon us, and now you can experience it like never before. Sign up today at thestardraft.com slash swill to join a league, draft a team of celebrities, and have them earn you points all award season long. Once again, that's thestardraft.com slash swill. Now streaming, the Netflix and Swill podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Netflix and Swill podcast, your source for Netflix news, reviews, and booze. I'm Caleb, and I'm a movie about a, a movie that, that stars people who were in movies. And I'm a movie about uh, two actors trying to outdo each other on being fucking weird beards. I think one uh, very clearly succeeds in that, and the other <laughs> kind of. Kind of tries, but, uh, you know, ultimately the only thing I could think about was how he and another character are definitely father and son. You can't convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we'll get to that later. Caleb, how are you? Um, not great. I, uh, just found out yesterday that my wife's parents both have COVID, so that's, uh... Really weighing heavily on both our minds right now. Yikes. And also, uh, yeah, sorry to start the show on this energy, but I don't know. How dare you have a real life where everything isn't just always fine and good? Yeah, you shouldn't banter on this show. It's for podcast news and seriousness. Two stars. Um, I don't know. I also found out the same day that... uh. My uncle, who has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, they just found a lump under his armpits. Now he has to go back for a second round of chemo, because uh, didn't completely put it into remission last time. So, Damn. so that's where I'm at. Um, how are you? Well, here I was going to start the show with uh, complaining about a caffeine headache that I had f- all of Friday uh, as I was going through caffeine withdrawal. Uh, and I was. This going... is where I tell you that a head like that should ache. So yeah, I I I tried to get off caffeine uh, stupidly on a Friday, uh, while I was working from home, while I had to do twenty four checks while at home, because people were fucking wah, wah, stupid. Wah. Uh, so I suffered. Uh, and then I took a nap, and then I stopped suffering. So. Uh, I can only imagine what real drugs feel like when you're going through withdrawal. If I complain for about eight hours about how my head hurt, but I will say, uh, my my Saturday into Sunday sleep seven uninterrupted hours of sleep. So maybe kicking caffeine was a good idea. Yeah, I don't know. Caffeine is a lot worse than people seem to think it is, and it's also the most addictive, most habit-forming drug there is, so. Well, yeah, I mean, we have it readily accessible to us at any point in any time. There's no restrictions on who can buy it and who can yeah. sell it, or at what times, so, yeah. 
I'm giving a, a caffeine-free lifestyle a shot, uh, ma- which mainly consists of me drinking Sprite and water and gin and tonics. Man, I fucking hate Sprite. <laughs> really? I like Sprite. Yeah. Sprite isn't bad. Sprite's fine. I don't know. Not a big soda person. Well, that's fair. Every now and then I get like that little craving for it, and I'm like, man, I really gotta have some fucking pop. And I will call it pop forever. As you should, because that is what it is named. <laughs> um, speaking of tasty beverages, what's your swill? Can we please get some alcohol into my mouth? He hates these cans! Stay away from the cans! Gin and tonic. What about you? I'm having my second to last uh, Killian's. My wife was enjoying one earlier this week, and uh, I was like, man, where do you keep getting the beer from? And she looked at me deadpan and was like, it's the huge box in the fridge that says beer on it, you moron. There you go. I'm real proud of you, bud. Uh, I'm not a very observant person. All right, so now that the swill is out of the way, it's time for some announcements. Caleb, please, uh, please tell us things about 5-Minute Adventures. Yeah, I uh, put up a poll on Twitter, and uh, 100% of those polled loved the 5-Minute Adventure segment. Um, That is 100% of three people who responded, so thank you. I am one of those three people. And in fact, in case we had a 3-Minute Adventure, that is the clack of uh, some some die, uh, a D&D dice set. Yeah, it's not going to be every time. I do have the next one. pretty much figured out though i think that will be closer to christmas time that's fair uh this episode is probably not a good one because we have uh mr long-winded nick on to talk about mank so uh he and he's going to listen to this and be like what's wrong with me being long-winded and i will say nothing because it's a podcast and you can be long-winded you did something cool this week why don't you tell me about that sure i was on simpleton review to review, uh, for some reason, Enola Holmes. Actually, I know exactly the reason. So it's uh, Nate Wade, one of our patrons, uh, asked me to be on the show. He's like, so, do you want Trial of Chicago 7 or Enola Holmes? And I said, which Dan do you want, Mad Dan or Glad Dan? Uh, And he said, I just want Dan. So it's like, ah, so you want Mad Dan. Got it. (laughs) So uh, I ripped into that. It's a PG-13 show. Uh, this is what I was alluding to last week. I, I dropped two F-bombs on it because I can't stop swearing. So, yikes. You monster. Um, I'm a monster. But yeah, uh, checked out, check out the link in the show notes. It'll be there. You can hear me talking on a podcast as if you've never heard that before. Uh, and speaking of me talking on a podcast, Dan makes Gerald watch Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, that's on Patreon right now for all of you patrons. Uh, it's directed by Alfonso Cuaron, and it's also two and a half hours long. Which thing does Gerald talk about more? Who knows? Listen to find out. Yeah. Gerald and I are going to be... Uh, I, I finally struck a deal with him to uh, get him to watch the Lord of the Rings movies for the first time, because he's never seen them. Because he's a monster. Yes. And uh, we're going to do that, but my penance that I have to pay in order to get him to that point is I have to watch all three Fifty Shades movies because he's a 
fucking moron man. Gerald is bastard man. Why Caleb hate? <sighs> as if as if those two series were even comparable. No, no. I would rather watch a, a three-hour version of The Lord of the Rings than watch a 90-minute version of Fifty Shades, uh, which I, I will tell you this. I think those are two-hour movies. Yeah, I'm sure. It's going to be like Lord of the Cock Rings. I can't wait to get lambasted on Twitter for going on and on about how it's a movie about an abusive relationship. Oh, isn't it? Well, the fucking fans of the movie get, like, really mad if you say it is. It's like, hey, they're not abusive. They really understand and love each other. Okay. I mean, sure. What do you What do you want me to say here? <laughs> Let's just do news. Oh, shit, it's mail time. This is cool. Warner Brothers is uh, saying fuck it. With uh, regards to trying to keep their heads above water with in the COVID times, uh, they're releasing all of its 2021 movie releases straight to HBO Max the same day as they're being released in theaters. Please don't go to the movie theaters and watch them at home if you have HBO Max. That is correct. Uh, there's no there's no additional charge. They're not like Disney level of go fuck yourself consumer of our product. It's just, if you have HBO Max, they're there. So, you'll get uh, Wonder Woman 1984, you'll get Space Jam 2. Sequel to the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, uh, what else? There's uh, the Tom and Jerry movie? Matrix 4. for some reason exists. Matrix 4, the third sequel to the fucking most overrated movie ever, Paul. Dune. Yeah, Dune looks real cool. I I hope they do it justice because I fucking me and every other uh, kid who wasn't having sex in high school loves Dune. I wasn't having he- sex in high school, and I've never heard about Dune until uh, like three years ago, where they first announced it. It's really fucking cool. It's like it's the OG like futuristic space fantasy because it's I don't know. Like they have. Uh, like the upper echelons of society, they have like personal shields, like a like a force field thing. So like they can't be shot to death. So like uh, duels with swords became like the big thing again because uh, like the force fields are reactive. So like high energy means like the shield reacts heavily to it so like bullets can't go through but like mm-hmm. a sword swing low energy the shield doesn't react as much so you can like kill somebody with a sword which is just a really clever way to get around that and have fucking sword fights in your space fiction fantasy so cuz lightsabers are dumb there i said it lightsabers are fine everything in star wars is fine it's a fine series Except for the prequel trilogy, which is garbage, and the sequel trilogy, which is also garbage. This is something else I found. Uh, This is from Variety. There was, it's basically just like an opinion survey to find out like what the most popular entertainment franchises are. And uh, there there are, you know, a few Netflix things on there. Ozark, Stranger Things, The Witcher. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I can rattle off the list if, if you care. 
Uh, it's up to. I'll leave it up to you. I don't. I don't. I don't care. I'll just do top ten. I guess. Uh, number one's The Mandalorian. Sure. Because I guess people who respond to these kinds of surveys are into that. Um, number two is Avengers, and then number three was Stranger Things. Then it goes. John Wick, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Witcher, Ozark, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and number 10 is Black Widow, for some fucking reason. Uh-huh, sure. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> number 20 was Hamilton. I thought that was interesting. Uh, also, like, I don't know what, like, the fucking criteria for this was, because, like, into the Spider-Verse is on it, but, like, Spider-Man is also its own separate thing. Yeah. I guess they just, like, want a way to differentiate, like, Miles Morales Spider-Man from Peter Parker Spider-Man? Yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of a fluff piece. I just thought it was uh, notable that people, I guess, still give a shit about Stranger people Things. gave a shit. But, like, that makes me wonder, um, since it has, like, they, they separate into the Spider-Verse... And Spider-Man, because it's like, uh, you know, they were done by different studios and shit. That makes me wonder if The Witcher being on there is in reference to the games or the show, or if it's both. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know how they did this. Yeah, Yeah, it's not really well explained, and I think it's just kind of stupid, but I don't know. I don't know why I brought it up. I'm sorry. Okay, I don't even know what the fuck NRG is. <laughs> oh, a global insights and strategy firm. Thank you, Variety. Three, 350,000 interviews about 700 entertainment franchises and the most bold and inspiring. I want to talk oh to you God, about an exciting new investment opportunity that people are talking about. Do you have dreams? I do. I'm giving you the the pyramid scheme sales pitch. Oh, well, of course. I'm assuming that's what this is. <laughs> I mean, for all I know, everything is a pyramid scheme. Let's move on to a, a thing where we can just blow through. Blood of Zeus has been renewed for a second and third season. So it uh, looks like you got to watch it, Caleb. Yeah, I'll get there. I'm interested to see where they go. That's all I have to say. In our last story, uh, Netflix's subscriber turnover is among the lowest in the industry. So people stay subscribed to Netflix. Uh, People will subscribe to Disney or Hulu or whatever, bang out a season or two of something that just came out and then cancel. Yeah. So I know like so many people who did that with HBO every time Game of Thrones came on Mm -hmm. and then thought that for some reason that gave them ownership over Game of Thrones and complained complained very loudly about the Game of Thrones finale. Sorry, that still annoys me. <laughs> that's fair. People still complain about it to this day, and it's been over a year. Get over it. Yeah. Uh, so looking at the graph that they have included on this, uh, it looks like it's over a year span. Uh, so Netflix has been under 4% turnover. Uh, almost the entire time, except for one point in uh, late August, early September, when Cuties, the Cuties trailer hit, and they soared Ooh, to almost 6% uh, cancellation rate. 
So uh, they went from about three to uh, six point or, or like five point five. We'll call it. That's what it looks like. The graph isn't super clear, but uh, that wasn't good. But obviously, it's back down to like three point one right now, which is uh, kind of ridiculous. Uh, Disney's currently sitting at uh, four point six, and uh, Hulu is sitting at six point seven. Disney's probably not going to raise for a bit, considering the fact that Mandalorian is out, and people want to see yeah. that. I guess. Not a, not a Star Wars guy. All right, it's time to kick it over to downstream. Baby, I can't control the internet. Uh, let's break down those hot new Netflix trailers. Uh, first up is something I'm actually interested in, and a, a pretty good example of how you actually do a, a teaser for your movie slash show correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a movie called Red Dot. David and Nadia attempt to rekindle their relationship on a romantic hiking trip in the north of Sweden. The trip quickly turns into a nightmare when a red laser dot appears in their tent and they are forced to flee into the unforgiving wilderness pursued by an unknown shooter. Uh, this looks tense. It looks like a, you know, one of those frantic, like, battle for survival type movies. And uh, I'm here for it. Yeah, I- I'm all about this trailer. So this is going to be a topic for sure. When did it say it was coming out? I don't know. I don't know that it did. I don't know that it did either. Oh, uh, February 11th. Holy fuck, that's quite a lead on that. Oh, hey. It's uh, it's about a romance that's uh, put in jeopardy, so that's perfect for our, uh, our Valentine's The episode. Valentine's Day episode? Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> I mean, we will be recording on Valentine's Day, I'll tell you that. But uh, yeah, it may as well be for Valentine's Day. Fuck it, who cares? Yeah, perfect. Uh, I yeah, I'm very interested in Red Dot. Uh, speaking of things I'm not interested in at all whatsoever, and that no doubt will be on your home when you come in from work one day and your wife will be watching. Uh, Maybe. best leftovers <laughs> ever. Uh, this is a cooking show where they take leftovers and turn it into real food. Uh, it's okay. The next trailer well, is for I, how I, to ruin Chris. I want to <laughs> say one thing, one notable okay. thing. The host is the girl from Glow. That that was uh, oh. I don't remember what her her character name is, but she was from Glow. That's the only notable thing about this trailer. We can now talk. Which one was she? Uh, oh fuck, what was her name? Melrose. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of how to ruin food, the next trailer is for how to ruin Christmas: colon the wedding. What's worse than having to spend Christmas with your entire family? Uh, coronavirus. <laughs> having a wedding at the same time. This is going to be a December to remember. How to ruin Christmas. The wedding arrives December 16th. Uh, so this is a series, and that means I automatically don't care. Yep. Uh, hard pass. Um, next up is the trailer for Lupin. Uh, which is also a series. As a teenager, Asan Diop's life was turned upside down when his father died after being accused of a crime he didn't commit. 
25 years later, Assam will use Arsene Lupin, Gentleman Burglar, as his inspiration to avenge his father. Uh, Netflix original series only on Netflix January 8th. So this is uh, interesting in that it's, uh, I guess, a, a modern take on the old time, like, uh, the the gentleman thief Arsene Lupin, who was uh, a literary, literary hero from, like, the early 1900s. This is a modern spin on this. It like that's also the character like uh if you remember like the 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 swillheads from way back will remember whenever I watched uh an animated film called The Castle of Cagliostro, which is based on the uh Lupin the Third anime series. Which is an anime that's about the uh gentleman burglar's grandson and his exploits, so uh, I want to bring up real quick. They did a Pokemon Evolution kind of thing with a recent re-release of that. Uh, they basically just oh cool. They 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 fucked up our childhood by by putting it into 3D garbage animation. <laughs> nice. I like Lupin the Third though. That's what I assumed this was. Uh, this also is the worst dub trailer I've ever seen in my entire life. It's a. Yeah, it's not very good. It's a French show, and they dubbed the trailer entirely in English. So I don't know if they were trying to push that for American audiences or what, but uh, I was so thrown off by the fact of how badly dubbed it was and how like disinterested the dubbers were that I just checked out entirely. All right, next trailer is for a movie called The Dig, uh, a movie about archaeology that seems like it's. It has real archaeology in it and isn't about digging up dinosaurs and cloning and finding the Ark of the Covenant and, uh, I don't know, whatever, what other, like, stupid, oh, like, mummies coming back to life and killing people. No, 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 that's, that's fun. That, that one's fun. All the other ones garbage. Man, the mummy, the mummy with Brennan Fraser is so fucking good. Uh, the mummy with Tom Cruise is a movie no! that I'll never see. As World War II looms, a wealthy widow, Carrie Mulligan, hires an amateur archaeologist, Ralph Fiennes, to excavate the burial mounds on her estate. When they make a historic discovery, the echoes of Britain's past resonate in the face of its uncertain future. Uh, spoiler, it's Vikings. They find Vikings. like a bunch of Yeah, they find a bunch of longboats with uh, you know, artifacts and uh skeletons in them. That's Aside from, like, just shoving your boat out to sea and setting it aflame, which is the most badass way to be buried, um, a lot of times they also would just, like, drag your your long ship out to wherever and bury it hmm. in, like, you and your ship so that you can sail into Valhalla. Interesting. Yeah, Viking mythology is, uh, fucking, it fucking slaps so hard. <laughs> I hate you. Why? I don't. Just that was a that was a that was a, that was a joke, I guess. Uh this looks fine. I know people are like freaking out about it being like, oh Carrie Mulligan, Ralph Fiennes, like, eh. Looks okay. Yeah, yeah, it looks pretty good, I guess. <laughs> Speaking of pretty good, I this ain't it. Uh <laughs> next trailer is Firefly Lane. 
Three Decades, Two Friends, One Hell of a Story, starring Katherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk, and based on the best-selling novel by Kristen Hanna, Firefly Lane is coming soon to Netflix. It's a feel-good um, soccer mom drama for white ladies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this features Katherine Heigl in a return to television because people uh, refuse to work with her, so... She's basically had to grovel uh, and beg to be allowed back on production, so there's that. And it's also apparently the best Sarah Chalk can get outside of Rick and Morty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next up is the trailer for something that I'm very, very interested in and we will be reviewing. Mm-hmm. It is We Can Be Heroes, uh, directed and written by Robert Rodriguez. It is in the Shark Boy and Lava Girl cinematic universe. When alien invaders kidnap Earth's superheroes, their kids are whisked away to a government safe house, but whip-smart tween Missy Moreno uh, will stop at nothing to rescue her superhero dad, Marcus Moreno, played by Pedro Pascal. Uh, Missy teams up with the rest of the super kids to escape their mysterious government babysitter, Ms. Grenada, uh, played by Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Uh, if they're going to save their parents, they'll have to work together. This is such a long description. Uh, by using their individual powers from elasticity to time control to predicting the future. I feel like there's a lot of synergy with those two powers specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and form an out of this world team full of action and heart. We can be heroes is directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, parentheses. Spy Kids, The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, close parentheses, and also stars Boyd Holbrook, Christian Slater, uh, man, he hasn't been in anything for a while, <laughs> Chris McDonald, and Adriana Barraza. The saddest thing about this to me is that Taylor Lautner isn't coming back to play Shark Boy, but it does confirm that him and Lava Girl got down at some point. True! Uh, I've actually never seen Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Uh... Well, guess what we're watching along with the review to this? Well, of course. Uh, yeah. Actually, that's a good question. Oh, it is on Netflix. It is a 3.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh Uh-huh. Not a good film. But uh, a cult classic in its own right. Sure, that's one way to put that. All right, well, I'm adding that to my list. (laughs) I don't know what's even... Th- it's a children's movie. This is Netflix's response to, um, I think, what, Black Widow, Soul, and uh, Wonder Woman 1984 all coming out on December 25th. So this is Netflix's response to that, because they moved it up from yeah. early January to Christmas. Yeah, it's like, you want a fucking superhero movie? Well, here you go, motherfuckers. <laughs> Here's a superhero movie set in a universe that no one thought was ever going to return. <laughs> here's here's our goddamn Shark Boy and Lava Girl sequel about their kids. <laughs> Fuck. I want a Spy Kids reboot. I think we got one, didn't we? Did we? With uh, Joel McHale and Jessica Alba? Oh, boy. Spy Kids 4D? Currently on Netflix for some fucking reason? Uh, well, that was in 2011. Oh, well. I mean, we've had three Spider-Mans since then, so, I mean... And by three Spider-Men, I mean three 
different actors as Spider-Man. I just want Sylvester Stallone to reprise his role from Spy Kids 3D Game Over, where he says, We're taking this to the next level! Uh-huh. <laughs> fucking, oh, fucking Spy Kids. Uh, I fucking re- I really want to watch the first Spy Kids movie now. Well, go for it's it. It's so bad. I mean, yes. Let's move on to quick hits. Talk about some some things we watched this week. Baby, I can't control the internet. That's my favorite line! So what'd you watch? Boy, it's been a while since I've had anything to add to this segment, huh? Yes. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to this segment. So. All right, uh, I finished Kakagori Season 2. It hasn't resolved anything. We're still in the middle of the student council election, uh, which is weird because Season 2 came out in 2019. It's an anime, and we haven't gotten an update since. So I don't know what the fuck's going on. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get a Season 3 or not. Uh, it's apparently up to the studio because Netflix only licenses out the... Um, the international distribution rights for the series. So who knows what'll happen? I'm finally done with it. Sorry, I, won't... I couldn't quite hear you. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I hate my life. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a good show. There's less weirdness, uh, like with the girls. So that's cool. I, I appreciate that. Otherwise it, Whatever, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Uh I have been rewatching through the uh Lord of the Rings movies, but that's not really relevant to this. I've I've I'm just excited about it, so Well, okay. So with that, it's time to cut into a quick break, and when we come back from said break, it'll be time to review the latest Netflix Oscar grab attempt with Mank. The Netflix and Swill podcast is brought to you by our patrons, Gerald Morris, Bill Sutton, Nick Haskins, Ashley the Bubby Gorski, Ben Kiefer, Paul Prezula, Daniel Henderson, Julio Oliveira, Jimmy De La Rosa, Chris Yaney, Brianna Petty, Nate Wade, Alan Gallarisi, Duty Dutram, Casey Moore, and Dan's mom. If you would like to become a patron of the show, find us at netflixandswill.com slash Patreon. Buy some shit. Visit netflixandswill.com slash merch. Leave a review and tell me how good I'm getting at public speaking. Visit netflixandswill.com slash apple podcasts. Thanks for letting us live our dreams of being professional idiots. We now return you to your regularly scheduled banter. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb, we are, of course, joined by uh, Citizen Kane fan extraordinaire Nick of Mr. Nikolai's Kitchen. Nick, hi. Shalom. Uh, and we are here to review the new Netflix original movie that no one's watching if you follow the Netflix top ten, Mank. I mean, no one's heard of David Fincher, so why would anyone? Actually, it's just the Mindhunter crowd protesting and being like, no, give us more Mindhunter and then we'll watch your movie. That wouldn't be shocking based off of how <laughs> petty fan bases are. <laughs> Netflix fan bases aren't petty, Dan. Gypsy sucks. A million fucking one-star reviews for your podcast have come in. 
I love you guys. It's good to be back. Thank you very much for having me. Caleb, I've missed you. Last time I was here to do 84,000 trailers and downstream, you weren't here. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> I'm not changing and neither is Netflix, so we're all going to get over it. Mank is a brand new 2020 biography comedy drama film from Netflix. Uh, clocks in at 2 hours and 11 minutes. It is a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb. 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane. This is directed by David Fincher, written by Jack Fincher, uh, and stars Gary Oldman. Uh, Nick, you're the guest. What'd you think? Uh, go on for as long as you want. So, yeah. I have complicated feelings with this movie because, I mean, you, of course, know my adoration for Citizen Kane. As I'm watching this movie, I got the distinct impression that, you know, I, I just there was things about the movie and I'll get into them maybe a little bit more later on as we go through everything. But I, I just like what this what the movie kind of tries to posit is it tries to give like Mankovich maybe soul credit. At least that's the interpretation I'm getting from it. Um, for writing Citizen Kane, and I don't necessarily believe that that's the case. Um, as a film, however, I believe it's incredibly well shot. I love the period setting. I love the way that this film was shot. I love, and Dana will maybe lament, maybe not, I don't know, we'll wait and see. But like the, Fincher almost kind of tries to maybe tap into some of that kind of old school Hollywood style in terms of like the performances that he's trying to elicit from the actors that what high, high, High trousers, fast talking, or whatever. Fast talking, Dan high calls trousers. It. It's fast talking, yeah, high trousers. It it kind of tries to tap into that aesthetic a little bit while kind of trying to modernize it as well. I didn't mind that. I thought that that was actually kind of nice. I think Oldman's fantastic in the film. Uh, he's really really good. But I, but much like this film, kind of questions authorship over this screenplay for Citizen Kane. I questioned the authorship of this film by Fincher's late father, Jack Fincher. So. We'll leave it at that for now. I just looked that up. Uh, Jack Fincher died in 2003. Yeah. It's just, um, the, there was, you know, a, a movement in the 70s to discredit Citizen Kane and give Mankiewicz uh, full credit for this movie, which that effort, which was by a film critic named Pauline Kale from The New Yorker, was thoroughly discredited, like, years ago by film scholars. And that, like, as I'm watching this film, I'm like, this is like Pauline Kale all over again. Like, that's exactly what this is, because it basically tries to kind of solely attribute everything about the movie to him. And, like, it kind of completely omits a lot of the history of, like, the initial stages of the writing of the screenplay of Citizen Kane, which were very collaborative, after which time, like, when you when you first like get when you first meet mank in the beginning of this movie, you get the impression that, like, Wells has just hired him and, like, hey... Here you go. We're on the phone. Here's this movie. Go write it for me. But they had had collaborations like numerous times on Mercury Productions prior to that. And like they had worked together, like coming up with the framework of the story before, like they just were like, OK, let's just go do our thing separately because we can't be in the same headspace because they were arguing and bickering too much. So like I feel like this film just strangely omits a lot of that. Uh -huh. I, I, I have complicated thoughts about this movie. Somebody else talk. <laughs> So this is a movie that has, uh, I would say, an almost impossible to follow plot because it's really just more about the characterizations and the things they're doing. And like, it's kind of uh, 
like the larger, like broader narrative is about the 1934 election, uh, which I don't give two shits about. (laughs) So really, it's just a movie about, you know, learning about Mank and who he was and how he would handle different situations and seeing him handle those situations, which is fine, I guess. Gary Goldman's very good. Um where I feel like this movie succeeds very well is that it feels like a movie from this time period. Yep. Um like I assume they shot it on modern cameras, but they used old techniques. Like they had a lot of fixed camera angles and like very slow, steady pans and like um close up shots on an object that, you know, a hand will come out like from off frame and interact with, you know, like there's uh one scene where they're going into a meeting with a bunch of studio executives and stuff and uh it just keeps showing this box of cigars sitting on a shelf and like a couple people will walk by and grab one and then it'll cut to somebody talking then it'll cut back to like the next person filing in and grabbing their cigar and it does that several times and it's a very a very old-timey uh kind of film technique to do like those quick cuts and like close-ups on people interacting with objects and like just it, it evokes a certain feel to it and it's uh it's very interesting uh from that angle it was one of those things i loved i think one of the so like the social criticisms that the film kind of levels at this time period in hollywood and all that lavish excess like yeah i love that shot of like they're all walking by the humidor and grabbing cigars out but this is also set in 1930 like in like the throes of the great depression and we mm-hmm. immediately like uh, right after that go to a scene of the head of mgm like pitching to like the entire work crew at mgm that he's got to cut back their salaries because of the depression like i i love like I think that those are the film's best assets, like by yeah. far. I think that thirties aesthetic and everything are, is a great. When he cut their uh, pay in half, and then they applauded him. Yeah. <laughs> oh my lord, man! Did you know that Amanda Seyfried was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania? I did not. That's fucking crazy. She was also in this movie. Um, I I would have liked to see more of her in this movie, but I enjoyed, you know, what she was in. I don't really know why she's in the movie. I guess just to goad out, like, another layer of Gary Oldman's performance, so. But, like, I mean, like he himself says in the movie, like, not all characters are A characters. You have to have, like, your B and C characters, so. Here's all I have to say on this movie. Uh, I legitimately did not give a single fuck about anything that happened in this movie whatsoever. Uh, it's shot well. It looks like a movie from the 30s, except they don't go all the way. I mean, they put in the cigarette burns and the, in the film thing, kind of th- like in the top right corner. Uh, everyone talks in that old-timey voice, and that was actually like the first thing I noticed was, oh, the sound is different. Like, everyone sounds like they're from this time. Yes. kind of wonderful. Yep. Well, it sounds like they uh, they dubbed over it. Well, sure. And they did, like, Foley and stuff. They don't go all the way. There's no film grain. There's nothing like that. So it's like you went a half step into attributing yourself, like, being like, hey, look, this is a throwback to the 1930s and 1940s, and how wonderful is that? And it's like, no, it's not. You made a very uninteresting movie that I don't care about. You didn't do a good job writing any characters. You jump around time all the timeline all the time. So I have no idea what's fucking happening. 
And uh, about half an hour in, I got bored and just stopped caring. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't fucking care about this movie whatsoever. Well, I mean, old older movies don't just look grainy. Like it depends on how you how you keep the film reels. Like I have uh, Casablanca on Blu-ray, and it looks exactly like this. There's like almost no film artifacting or anything. So you know, sure. whatever print they like, I'm sure they digitally restored it a bit also but like whatever print that they had kept in storage of the film that they used to generate the blu-ray was you know in really good shape my ultimate point is this movie is completely incoherent and i didn't care yeah it's it's not a things happening movie it's a people evoking their emotions movie yeah, it was an interesting way to write this story to kind of frame it as this, you know, like constantly flashing back to, you know, the different events in Mankiewicz's life that, you know, led him to, you know, kind of some of the different things that would that would end up cropping up in Citizen Kane, which is a fan of Citizen Kane I love. Like, I love the scene between he and Davies when they're walking around San Simeon, like, because San Simeon was obviously the inspiration for Xanadu and Citizen Kane. So you could just see, like, them walking around, like, in this giant California castle and then, like, throw the grounds where there's just all sorts of random zoo animals for... No reason whatsoever. Like, I loved all those aesthetic touches, but it was an interesting way to, I thought, juxtapose that, you know, the the 1940s scenes, like, of, of just old alcoholic washed up Mankiewicz trying to write this screenplay while flashing back to all these different events that led to, you know, him kind of becoming delusioned with the Hollywood studio system and things like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have nothing else to say. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be completely honest. I I I just don't care. I like this is probably the movie on Netflix that I cared the least about. Just like and I went in I went in being like, cool, I'm gonna learn some stuff. And half an hour in, I was like, nah, I don't care anymore. I'm just gonna kind of let this movie happen and you know try to take in as much as I can. But I I I wrote notes maybe three minutes afterwards and. Uh, I I barely took in anything from it. My wife watched this with me, and that about an hour and a half into the movie, she turned to me and said, can you explain the plot of what's going on to me? And I looked back at her and said, no, I cannot. Right, because, I mean, based off your synopsis, what it says is, oh, it's basically all about like him trying to write the script to Citizen Kane. And then he finishes the script to Citizen Kane about an hour in. And then it's just like, oh, we're flashing back and forth between timelines. People are trying to convince him to to not, you know, do the script and, and you know, not credit himself on the script so that way he comes out of this just fine. Uh, as opposed to him looking bad at, after it comes out. And it's like, okay, so he's done with the script. So the movie's over, right? No. Yeah, I I mean I I don't necessarily disagree. I think it was I almost like every time they would flash back to the to the, you know, early to mid 1930s storyline about, you know, that election and I'm like, "Okay, but if that's the story you want to tell because it almost presupposes some kind of knowledge. Like it's almost like once upon a time of Hollywood in that respect, like it almost that explains presupposes some kind of knowledge about like this specific gubernatorial election in California history which no one would know literally a fucking thing about, like 
now like at this point in time like maybe unless you were like somebody who is interested in the history of california state politics but you know like i mean for us as the layperson like it's even less of a once upon a time in hollywood kind of thing because like i said nobody knows about this so if that's the story you want to tell fine but tell that story but then you know they wanted to use it to kind of juxtapose like this is where he derived all these different ideas that would then end up distilling down into citizen kane and it's like okay in a way like i like some of these ideas and i even kind of liked some of the you know some of the the parallels that were meant to draw like of bernstein and citizen kane as you know louis mayer you know and and i liked kind of as as someone who loves that movie trying to suss out like those different things and kind of trying to see exactly how far fincher went with that when they mentioned it in the film but I think this is a, a very, very, very specifically targeted kind of film, and I don't think this would have played at all in cinemas. So that's kind of why it ended up getting released onto streaming. I think it'll do well in awards season for especially oh, yeah. Oldman. I think Oldman will definitely pick up nominations and whatnot. And I would, def I would definitely say Ross and um, Finch's score would get nominated as well. Like I liked that it was, it felt like a period score, but it wasn't right. And I think that's the big thing is it will get awards play because it is uh, a movie about golden age Hollywood and there is nothing exactly. Hollywood loves more than flating itself. Oh, that is true. <laughs> it's just, I don't, as, as I'm watching this uh, outside of, you know, for citizen Kane fans who, I mean, again, I have a lot, like if you want to get into the, like the logistics of like the writing of citizen Kane and like crediting screen, like that Pauline kale thing, like from the seventies was, you know, that was basically rendered hogwash ages ago. You know, it was completely discredited ages and ages ago, but this seems very much distilled from that. Like it's very much like there's still like the, someone somewhere for some reason cares enough about this sort of thing to try to take credit away from Orson Welles for it. When, you know, it was it was a collaborative effort. Like it's not like Wells did the entire thing by himself, certainly. Right. But it's you know this film seems to want to posit that Wells had nothing to do with it, except for throwing a, a tantrum at the very end of the movie, and then you know that then gives Mankiewicz an idea for you know the climactic scene in Citizen Kane where you know Susan leaves Kane, and I'm talking about Citizen Kane more now that I'm talking about this. Um, I also liked Tom Burke as Orson Welles, though. I think he very, 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 like, very well-channeled Orson Welles, especially the voice in some scenes. Sure. Some scenes it wasn't quite as much there, but I think the voice definitely, especially in the early scenes, was just on point. Like, absolutely nailed it. Well, he's also doing, like, voiceover there, so it's not like he has yeah. to put, like, acting emotions to it. Like, he can contort his face in any kind of way, shape, or form that he wants to in order to get the right voice out of it. But when he has to be on camera, yeah, it it, it does suffer. Yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely agree. I just, I mean, like, like I said, I mean, when I was watching this, I just, I got the idea, you know, that it's just like, this is trying to kind of do the same thing that Pauline Kale tried to do in the 70s, and that was already discredited. So why are we trying to have this argument again when that argument was already debunked? That argument was already disproven, and now we're revisiting it again in 2020. Like, I just don't – I don't understand what the point of this is. This almost feels like to me – like, this is Fincher, and the word is escaping me now. I can't think of the word. But because his dad wrote the screenplay, you know – it was just Fincher, you know, 
trying to make this movie like because his father had written the screenplay. Sure. You know, although I did read an interesting bit of trivia that apparently this had to be like they did um, polish the script because initially the, the initial script was too anti Wells, which. Okay. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think as a movie, I think as a movie, it's better than it is as a historical study. I like the immersion in that era of Hollywood. And I think that there was something interesting to be done here, but I was too soured by the kind of revisionist history aspect of it to really get invested enough in the 1934 stuff. If I think they just told like the 1934 story and they completely like omit the writing citizen Kane stuff and leave all that stuff just way out there. Just tell me the story of Herman Mankiewicz in early 1930s Hollywood, far more compelling film. Cause that's like when him, like, you know, being part of William Randolph Hearst's inner circle and mm -hmm. falling out of favor with him and being exiled and all those kinds of things. That's a far more interesting story to me. And I can make the associative links back to citizen Kane from there. Sure. And that adds something different to your viewing experience as opposed, as opposed to mine, where I'm just like, looking at it going okay well now uh like this is interesting but like i've checked out so much based off of the actual writing of the script because i don't care because i've never seen citizen kane and i know i know some people are going to be like oh that's stupid and why did you watch mank without watching citizen kane it's like well because who cares this movie should be able to tell me a story regardless but like i'm so checked out from the script writing aspect that like the 1934 stuff is semi-interesting and I probably would have been more interested in it had they decided to actually focus on it, like you said, uh, instead of, you know, flipping back and forth and picking and choosing what to fucking talk about and making me insane by trying to follow everything that's happening. Yeah. I love Caleb. I love Caleb, too. Thank you. Let's thank, just talk about you, Caleb. Caleb, a review. Uh, five stars. Bold, bold and inspired. Bold and brash. <laughs> Uh, one star, more like belongs in the trash. <laughs> uh, is is there anything else anyone wants to say about Mank? Uh, I feel like we've all stated our opinions fairly well, but if anyone has any wrapping thoughts, let me know. I expected to have a lot stronger reaction to this either way, and I finished it, and I was just kind of underwhelmed. Like, I finished it, and I was just kind of like... Like, Fincher directed, like, my favorite movie the last decade, as you gentlemen know. But Fincher's also directed some really, really shit movies, in my opinion. So sure. I didn't know what Fincher we were going to get with this. And I got, like, straight underwhelming, middle of the road. I don't really care about this all that much, Fincher. Sometimes with the stuff that we review, I'm really excited about it and have a lot of fun watching it for the show. But... um this week it it kind of just felt like I was doing my job, so yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So I apologize, but I felt like this would have actually, you know, had an actual conversation behind it, as opposed to, you know, Nick spouting facts at us about Citizen Kane and you know the history of Citizen Kane and the history of this movie. Uh, instead, we get you know Nick doing that, well, and then you and me just kind of be like, yeah, it's whatever. So little of this conversation was about this movie. Yeah. Like you said though, like the, it should stand on its own. Like Yeah. It it has to work as a film in and of itself separate from Citizen Kane to 
really be worth watching. So, and it it did, I guess, if you're into that. But yeah, I appreciate those aspects of it as someone who loves that film and who loves this era of Hollywood. Like, I appreciate that on that level, yeah. but it doesn't make this film more compelling to me, and it doesn't it doesn't make Mankovich any more of a compelling character to me. Like I wanted to be more drawn to him and I wanted to understand his story more. And I think almost like the, the cutting between the two different narrative timelines, it's a disservice to that. Like you, there's like this great, like kind of tragic upswell in that early 1930s arc that I think would have pre- played really well if we just got that movie, but instead it's, it's, it's constantly interstitched with, Here's this stuff about the Citizen Kane script, and here he is just laying drunk in a bed. Yeah. Hooray. Well, you know, well, it's like, how tell one story or the other. Stop. Like, you don't need to try to fold these two things together to try to make this, this I, like, this, I don't know, paper accordion of, like, everything comes to, like, it just doesn't all gel together. Like, the, these two things, they should have been a separate thing. Or just, like I said, just, to, I was so interested in that 1930s, like, like election thing and like MGM, like, I mean, I love the parallels that they were trying to draw with like Nazi propaganda and Goebbels and all the, like, I love that stuff. Like I wanted more of that. And then they just cut back to the ranch where he's just laying in a bed, you know, talking about, right. And I'm like, well, fu- tell me the other story. Like, I want to know the other fucking story or better idea as opposed to him being like, oh, we wrote 90 pages today. Instead of him doing that, be like, all right, here's, here's, uh, here's me dictating the script. And, and you know, Lily Collins, this might have even been annoying, but this is my idea. You know, Lily Collins goes, that's some really interesting stuff. Where did you come up with that? And it just, he's like, ah, oh, no, nowhere in particular. And then we go back to a point in time where he pulls, like, something from the Citizens Kane, Citizen Kane script from his personal past, from his dealings with Hearst. That's more interesting. But instead, they decide to just do completely unrelated things and jump back and forth between them. It's stupid. I think you can have the 1930s movie because if if you if you're somebody who's a fan of Citizen Kane anyway, like you can look at Marion and you can definitely see obviously the character inspiration for Susan Alexander Kane. You can look at like I said, San Simeon, and obviously the inspiration for Xanadu. Like there's so much of it already distilled in there. It's almost like I'll you know Fincher kind of with a big giant mallet smacking us over the head with it. Be like, did you get it? Did you get it? Here it is. <laughs> uh, I like the scene where a bunch of studio executives were talking, and the one guy had his secretary there typing up notes, and she was just wearing pasties over her nipples. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. I'm like, I'm look. It was such a background element, such a background thing. So I'm like, what? What is she? Why? That's this movie, folks. Two pasties in the background over some titties. All right, uh, that'll get us to ratings. Uh, Nick, you'll be the highest on this, mo- no doubt. Uh, what it, what would you rate this? I mean, I'm gonna fail it. Two and a half. Oh I'm, wow. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I mean, it's if it's somebody. It's a very niche film. If you're somebody who is like adores film, adores Citizen Kane, adores this period of Hollywood, you're gonna get a lot more out of this than the layperson. But like. Even as a fan of all that kind of stuff, and even as big a fan as I am of of Oldman's performance, this film just, this could have been so much better and so much more than it was, and it's just a lot of wasted opportunity. Yeah, two and a half. No, don't watch it. Caleb? Um, I, I really wanted to like this from the artistic aspect, like, 
Like I wanted my rating to be in like somewhere around a three and a half to a four, but like it's kind of like I'm going to forget about this like tomorrow. Right? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I I'm going to go three, I guess. Like there's there's aspects of it that I enjoyed artistically, but it just doesn't really have anything here that I give a shit about. So it's not really something I can like generally recommend. Uh, the most notable fact about this movie is that Bill Nye played Upton Sinclair. That is all you need to know. Boom. Uh, he, you barely see the the side of his face. That's how that's how little they cared about the 1934 storyline. Bill, 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 Bill. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm giving this a two. This is uh, not a good movie in in the slightest. No, it's 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 just it's. It's it's way too niche, and then I feel like even it aims to alienate even those people who are interested in a topic and a period as niche as this. Then it works against them, even with this whole fractured timeline thing. I just, yeah. All right, uh, Nick, thank you for coming on the podcast and promptly shitting on a movie that's uh, a successor in some ways to your fa- one of your favorite movies of all time. This is so in my fucking wheelhouse too. So way to way to swing and miss, Fincher, because <laughs> hmm. he owes all this exactly to me. Tell everyone where they can find your podcast, which uh, from the last time you and I were on a podcast together is now up and available everywhere. It is so just nikolaiskitchen.com. That'll lead you to every link under the sun where you can find the show, all the social media podcatchers and whatnot. Search for Nikolai's Kitchen. I I promise you, you will find me. And thank you, gentlemen, once again for for having me back to Netflix and Swill. It is always a treat. I love you both so much. You're fine. <laughs> Two and a half stars. Next, fine. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Bye. All right. Bye. So with that, we are going to cut into a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do a patron request review for The Master. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. Well, nerds, geeks, and newcomers alike... We're the Shake and Not Nerd podcast, where each week we review movies and video games and discuss what's going on in the nerd world. With me, as always, is my co-host, Ian the Huge Footlong Johnson. Hey, babes. The Tom. Hello there. And Ollie, also known as Big Red. Hi. And I'm your host, Doody Dutrum. And this is us. About five minutes beforehand, I was talking to my friends, being like, "They make me say I love Harvey." <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I'm not. I'm, do, I'm not doing it. The second they said, "I'm like, I love it, Harvey." Fresh it. I'll suck it. I'll suck it. Did for one. It's right. Pink just released a new album. Apparently, really thank good. God. Title purple. Pink red. Right. No. <laughs> Two in the. <laughs> Where can people find us, guys? Why are you looking at me this time? <laughs> Well, I do believe you can find us on any relevant social media outlets. Or the podcast app of choice. Mm. Oh, there are a lot of good ones. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Shaking Not Nerd. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb, it is time to get into a patron requester review for The Master. Well, fine, if you don't want my money. You mean, if we watch terrible movies, you'd give us money? Well, sure. Mr. Caleb... Welcome to the Patron Review segment. Uh, The Master comes to us from Julio. Thanks?
Uh, it is a 2012 drama film rated R clocks in at two hours and 18 minutes. Uh, and it is a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. A naval veteran arrives home from war unsettled and uncertain of his future until he is tantalized by the cause and its charismatic leader. Uh, this is written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. I wrote and directed it. Um, and <laughs> what it am stars I nuts? Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, at one point, Amy Adams came out onto the screen. And I was like, oh, man, it's Amy Adams. <laughs> Not again. Not again. What, what did you think? I honestly really hated this movie. That's fair. Like, I uh I don't like it. Like I didn't I didn't like it at all. And that's what I was trying to figure out like does does Julio like this? Was mm-hmm. he trying to fuck with us? No. Um is this a movie that people like? Yes. Generally? Okay. So it's us. I wouldn't go that far. It's just I find this to be an ambling movie that does nothing and says nothing and then it just has moments and then they're barely connected by an overall loose plot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't like Joaquin. I, like, the main three actors that I just mentioned, I don't like any of them to begin with. And, like, Joker and, like, his role in Signs notwithstanding, like, I can't stand Joaquin Phoenix really in much of anything. Uh, I actually thought Joker was quite good for what it was, but mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's like him and Philip Seymour Hoffman just like trying to out fucking weird creepy each other and Joaquin Phoenix is winning in a landslide. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, I, I just I don't get what the point of this movie is, because by the end of the movie, we just we we go back right to the beginning. Like the ending shot is one of the first shots we see of the movie. Like, so was it all a fever dream? Did I just, did, did Joaquin Phoenix dream this, this entire situation happened? Like what's, what is the point of this movie? Oh man, they're making a sequel to Joker. <laughs> I mean, for the first like hour and a half, for like the first hour, I was like, oh, they're making, this is a sequel to Joker that they made in 2012. Good for them. Because it's like Joaquin Phoenix just being crazy, but and like him being checked out for uh, mental disorders from his time in the war. Like if uh, like at the VA, he's doing his thing, and he's like, "Look, I see a I see a vagina, I see a penis." And it's like, okay, yeah. clearly this guy's disturbed in some way. That like that scene was kind of comical. Like I don't know. He he shows him Rorschach ink plots, and he's like, "That one's a pussy. That one's a cock going into a pussy. That one's a cock, but upside down." And the guy giving him the test is just like, "Well, all right then." <laughs> but like, this isn't an exploration in how to fix him as a person, or at least try to help him. It's just like events happen in the movie. And it's like I don't like events happen in the movie. Like I, I need a purpose behind them for me to feel any sort of attachment to any movie whatsoever. So when you just have events of the movie, I'm bored. Yeah, like it's not even really a deconstruction of how like, uh, 
you know, big, like, personalities who establish cults and stuff will, like, worm their way into people's minds. Like, that all, like, it just happens. Like, there's no, there's no, like, hesitancy or anything. Like, he talks to people, they join the cult. There's, there's one guy that challenges him, and, like, they scream back and forth for two minutes, and then they never play with that at all for the rest of the movie. Well, they don't even scream back and forth. The guy is super calm when he confronts him about it. He's like, "I think you're, yeah. sh- I think you're full of shit." And Philip Seymour Hoffman goes off the fucking deep end, trying to defend his cause. And it's like, okay, play on that. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. The only time we're gonna play on that is when Laura Dern questions anything, any, like any of the new changes that happen in the in the second book, where in, he'll freak out there too. And that's the end of that. So it's just like, okay, so what's happening here? It's uh. It's a Scientology type. Well, th- and apparently that's what they were going for. It was like, this was supposed to be L. Ron Hubbard. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. Uh, anything else you want to say about the movie? Mm, nope. Okay, what would you give it? Uh, One. Wow, okay. Uh, I was going to go two, another two. Well, I like how it's yeah. shot. I, I don't mind the performances, but like they're they're so aimless. Uh, I just struggle to understand what Paul Thomas Anderson even does. See, I know you're going to tell me that I need to turn up the brightness on my TV, but like I don't like how this is shot because there will be scenes where like just for no reason a character's face is like half in darkness. Oh yeah, and, that's like, a, that's a brightness issue. Everything's just super washed out, and like I don't know. Because, like, there there are those the, shots the that see. brightness is set correctly. I don't know. Because, like, I think it's super vibrant. Like, I, I, I like the way this looks. And maybe it's just the TV that I have. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. But, like... Yeah, maybe. Th- I, I I'm, like, thinking of the sea shots, they're so vibrant and, like... That's yeah, like, those are very colorful. Okay. But like, then they'll be they'll be like they'll be in the house or like below deck in the boat drinking or whatever. And it's just like I can see half of like the outline of a character, kind of. Hmm. I think you just need a new TV. Throw away your TV and get a new one. This <laughs> TV shit. Get me another one. Yeah. But yeah, I like how it's shot. I like. I bought oh. this TV for four ninety nine. Uh, I, I like the performances enough, even though they're completely aimless. Uh, but, eh. Uh, I, I, I had this on my list for a while because a lot of people have said how good this movie is. I'm finally glad to say it's off the list forever. I never have to watch this again. Uh, and I'm not going to say you guys are wrong. It's just, I don't understand. And, uh, right. this is, uh, strike two for Paul Thomas Anderson. The next Paul Thomas Anderson film that I watch and uh, is bad is Strike Three, and he's done. Well, sorry I didn't like your movie, Julio. You tried, and that's what matters. Next week, what? Uh, I don't. We don't really have anything official planned, so no, we what don't. Are we, what are we gonna do for we that? Can, we can do a Christmas epi. We can also not do a Christmas epi and do something else. Well, I don't know. Are we doing? Are we doing like another Christmas one, like closer to Christmas, or? Uh, I mean, this can just replace that if we instead of. 
I mean, because ideally I would like our Christmas episode to be the one that comes out on the 22nd. Okay. All right, so let me pull up Netflix then. And um, see if there's anything that's come out recently that I would like to check out, or that we should check out. Also, we should nail down what we are talking about on the Christmas epi. What do you say to the Liberator? All right. So, next week on the show, we are going to do the pseudo-animated series The Liberator. Uh, Mainly, I say pseudo-animated because, like, everyone's faces look like they just drew over somebody's face uh, and animated that. Uh, And on the back half of that, Caleb, you brought it up, like, last week. Your sister wanted us to watch this this new documentary, Tread. Yeah, I'm so excited. So we're going to watch Tread. Uh, It's about a guy who gets fined for not having his... uh place hooked up to sewage so he decides to kill the government by building a tank at home can't wait will both of those be more interesting than mank and the master probably i don't see how a movie about a guy building a homemade tank could be less interesting than mank true 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 tank is greater than mank how long did that take you? Uh, about as long as it took me to say it. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Boy, boy, the energy in this episode. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, well, if you're proud of that joke, you should uh, follow us at NetflixandSwill.com. NetflixandSwill.com will take you to everywhere that is relevant for our show, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our Patreon page, uh, and uh, that's it. It's where we also house our show and all the other good stuff. So NetflixandSwill.com, it's your one-stop shop for all things Netflix and Swill. Yeah, Vanessa was trying to give us a review on iTunes, but, like, they make it... Well, I mean, iTunes isn't really a thing anymore, but, like, they make it so fucking complicated to try to log in and do it, and it makes you confirm, like, ten different things, and they send you a passcode to log into it that last for about 30 seconds so if you don't want to do all of that i understand yes i also understand uh thank you to space weather for the use of our theme song bitter as in i'm not bitter about it i'm just disappointed uh with our movie options this week true and uh that's it we we hope you gain something of value out of this show which is uh i mean i guess us saving you a few hours of your busy schedule three hours for not watching mank yeah we we saved them four and a half hours so uh until next week this is caleb saying we'll see you next tuesday 